Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We thank you for who you are. If you'll join me tonight in the book of Romans chapter 8, we are going to conclude our study, our series that we have been perusing through the work of the Spirit. Typically, we do that on Sunday mornings. We had a pause in our schedule, and so we are going to wrap that series up tonight, or at least we're going to complete the series, because what we're going to talk about here tonight is, is never wrapped up. It's never complete until we, we walk on those sunny shores of heaven. But we are going to Spend some time tonight in the book of Romans. We'll begin in Romans 8 and 6. And if you'll join me there, Paul says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so for a few moments this evening, we're going to talk from the subject, Victory Through the Spirit. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. As human beings, we are, we are quite literally, and we quite literally entered this world in a fault. Perhaps we didn't think about that today. Didn't certainly didn't think that that would be the first line spoken here tonight. <laughs> but nevertheless, it is the truth. We enter the world in a fault. We're, we're born into sin. Now, it's no fault of our own that we're born into sin. Nonetheless, we come into the arena of life with an insurmountable deficit to overcome. Because of sin... The nature in which it altered the human existence, death entered the arena. And so as life begins, death also begins. As life begins, at the, at the moment of that first breath, death also begins to reign in our, immortal, in our mortal bodies. The, inevit the inevitability of this, it, it works in tandem with the negative state of the body that it is already in, in that our flesh attempts to work the unseemly things into our lives. And so it's a deficit indeed. It is an insurmountable odds that are stacked against us as we enter into life in the most helpless of states. It's a sad state of affairs if this was the reality with no recourse. A pitiful and a hopeless condition that it would be if the very thing that we fought daily could not be overcome. And the outcome was inevitable. 
that it would be eternal unrest due to the very thing that we're born into due to no fault of our own. But this is not the case. Although it is a very real deficit that we enter this world in, it is one that cannot be overcome to an ever it is it is one that can be overcome to an everlasting prom, promise and profit rather than an eternal deficit. Sin does absolutely have a very strong hold in this world, but sin does not have the final say. Our flesh is a very real hindrance. Our flesh is a very real opposition that we face on a daily basis, but it does not have to rule because we have something that we need, and that is the Spirit of God. And so even though sin is this insurmountable, this mountain that stands in front of every human being as they enter the world, it does not have to have the final say. And through the Spirit, not only have we the opportunity to overcome, but we also can look across the room and we can see very real experiences and testimonies even in this house tonight that it has it will and it always will happen. God's spirit will overcome and sin does not have to have the final say. Just look to your left and look to your right and you'll see someone here tonight that can attest, that can confirm that sin does not have to have the final say because the spirit can overcome. And victory is a must. And we cannot settle for anything less. Yet, we can't forget about the thing that we just talked about, and that is the flesh. We spend every waking moment in it. We woke up in it this morning. We'll go to bed in it tonight. And if the Lord is willing, we'll wake up in it again tomorrow. And so because we spend every waking moment in it, it is a constant reminder that it is going to be a contentious contender. If we were to just take a cursory review, a, a surface view of our flesh, it would be quite evident within just a matter of moments that this is a consistent opposition to our spirit and to the spirit. And there's no escaping it because we are in it right now. And we're not going anywhere. We are in the flesh. And we are subject to its carnal instinct. You see, the new birth experience, it brings about some very marvelous things in our life. But the spiritual new birth still resides, come on somebody, in the same carnal flesh. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence tonight if you're watching online, if you're here in person I don't, want to, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we don't somehow grow new arms. We don't grow new legs. We don't, we don't, we don't grow new hands. We have the same hands, the same feet, the, set, the same head, the same eyes, ears, and nose. Just because we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost doesn't mean that we all of a sudden get this new celestial body to go along with it, to work in tandem with it. We get the baptism of this. The word says that we have a, a treasure in an earthen vessel. And so we're in this flesh. We have, no, we, have no, we have no way around it. We don't, 
We don't get some sort of new body when it comes to the transformation of our attitude. When, we, when our outlook changes, we're still in this same flesh. And because of that new transfer, that transformation, that new outlook, that new, that new overcoming, that freedom from sin, we face opposition in the flesh. Because the fact of the matter is, is that even though our minds have been transformed and even though we have been renewed and changed, we're still, I'm going to say it again, in the same old flesh. And this flesh, Paul says, works against it. Galatians 5 and 17, he says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would Seems grim. If we were to stop right there, it seems unavoidable. And those words seem pretty final. It just lusts against each other and they will never work together. They will always be contrary. And so the question I pose tonight is this. Since the carnal mind cannot be subject to God and the flesh is completely contrary to the spirit and since our earthly existence is constrained in this flesh, how in the world are we supposed to live for God? Well, Paul answered that question in Romans 8 and 9. He said, but ye are not in the flesh, but ye, but in the spirit, if so that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so those who have been born again by spirit baptism, though residing in the flesh, I've got good news for us tonight. We have the power to live a new life. Even though we're in the same old flesh that we went to bed in last night, we woke up in it this morning, we've been given his spirit, and we have the power to live a new life even though we are in an old residing temple. Our old nature dies in repentance, is buried in baptism, and according to Romans 6 and 4, we rise to enjoy a new life in the Spirit. I'm talking about victory through the Spirit. And so the war is raging. It never stops. The opposition exists. It never goes away. The flesh is weak in its desire to be pleased, yet it never can be totally satisfied. It's strong in its constant pull to be pleased and satisfied, but we have the ability to mortify this flesh according to the will of God by surrendering, hear me now, victory through surrender. That doesn't sound right in our own human concepts and conceptions that we, we win by surrendering. No, that doesn't make any sense. But it is the only way that we will ever have true and lasting victory is if we surrender to the will and to the Spirit of God. In fact, it is the only way that we will ever have total and lasting victory. We must surrender to the Spirit. No greater example, no greater example has ever existed in the annals of human history than in the life of Jesus Christ Himself. He knew what He came for, He knew it from the beginning. 12 years old in the temple talking to the doctors and the, and the physicians and the, and the men of God. As he opened up the word of God and read that, that book, he said, I am about my father's business. He knew from a very young age what he came for. 
He knew what was going on. And he knew, hear me now, exactly where he was going. His death on the cross was inevitable. But I'm going to say something controversial. It was not unavoidable. It was inevitable. It was the will of God, and God's will will always prevail. But his death on the cross was not unavoidable because he was God manifest in the flesh. He didn't come to humanity in some celestial or angelic body. No, he didn't come to humanity in some superseding body that somehow worked and operated on a different plane than every other human body on the earth. No, he came to humanity in humanity. I'm going to say it again. God did not come to us as humans in some in some extraterrestrial body that could not be defiled or, or deformed. He came to us in the same thing that we are. That ought to give us some hope here tonight. He came to humanity in humanity. He felt the same things that we feel. He experienced the same things that we experience. And he experienced in, in his own flesh. But he didn't succumb to the flesh. He didn't lay it down for the flesh. He laid it down for the cross. He didn't lay it down for the flesh, but he overcame the flesh and he overcame the world by submission. It all happened in Gethsemane. It all happened in a garden. It all happened at a place of pain. And it all happened as the impending hurt, the beating, the thorns, the nails, the agony of the cross all met him right there in that garden and came to rest upon him. I want you to picture all the sins of humanity, all the pressures of the world, everything that we feel times a million were on him in that garden but in that garden was a place of decision in that garden he made a decision it was in that place that we see the epic battle between flesh and spirit and what was lost in a garden was gained in a garden what was lost by the flesh and giving into it in a garden was gained in a garden he said I came to seek and to save that which was lost and in that garden he made the decision to lay down that flesh and that body and he won that thing that he was searching for by surrendering his human will to the will of God his flesh, hear me now wanted to get out of the turmoil, his flesh said get me out of this place his flesh said get me out of this feeling, I don't like it, I don't want to be here it passionately desired to be freed from the pain and the pressure but his willingness to submit himself to the spirit of God brought about the redemption of humanity had he given in to that flesh that night all hope would have been lost all hope would have been lost and we would have been perpetually suffered to live out in a state of defeat but it was this prayer it was this prayer that made all the difference in Luke 22 and 41 and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed saying Father if thou be willing remove this cup from me never 
the less. No more beautiful word has ever been spoken. God came to us in flesh and he spoke a lot of great things. He spoke a lot of, of, of truths. He spoke eternal words to us. We have his word for it. But there has never been. I read this again today and it did something to me. The word, nevertheless. Now we can just call, we can just casually go over that and say, nevertheless, that's just a that's just a word that people use. But hear me now. That word was the hinge point. That word is what made all the difference. He said, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Never the less. That's an adverb. It tells us in the reader that something happened even though there was something that could have stopped it from happening. And so when Jesus was kneeling down in that garden with all of the pain and the pressure upon him, he could have said, get me out of this. I don't want to do this. I want to leave this place. And he could have got up and walked out and never came back. But he didn't. He said, never the less it could stop I can make it stop right now I can call angels down and I can make all of this stop right here and right now but nevertheless my flesh wants to get out of this but nevertheless I want to run and hide but nevertheless not my will but thine be done nevertheless this is the spiritual key this is the hinge. This is the opening, if you will, the unlocking of the endless potential of what God's Spirit can really do in our lives. It is the unlocking of what God's Spirit can accomplish in us and through us. Though we are made of frail flesh, we have the ability to surrender to the will and to the purpose of God. And it is accomplished only through and by Prayer. Prayer is the avenue in which we gain that spiritual understanding. Prayer is the vehicle in which we accomplish meaningful relationship with God. And it's in the arena of prayer that we can do something that we desperately must do. And that is to overcome this flesh. It's through prayer that we do what he did when we kneel down and the pressures of life says you just need to throw in the towel and you just need to quit and you, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself but we just need to just give it all up and walk away and never show up again. It's in the avenue, in the, in the, in the arena of prayer that we kneel down and say Lord not my will but your will be done. I'm going to commit myself to your precepts I'm going to commit myself to your word and I'm going to do it with all of my heart. Not my will, but your will. You see, it's here at the avenue, the intersection of frail flesh and spirit and in prayer that we find the will, the will of God for our lives. But it's here where a little shift begins to occur. It's here that we learn what God can do for us. It's here by surrendering to his will that simultaneously we learn what he will have us do. Uh-oh. And I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here tonight. But there's more. Because when you surrender to his will and you learn what he can do for you, 
And then the exchange occurs, and he says, now this is what I want you to do. There's more opposition. Probably one of the most horrific battles, hear me now, that we will ever face is accomplishing the will of God. As life would have it, just on the surface, schedules collide. Hindrances happen. And our existence will never, never perfectly align with what we know we must accomplish. Can I say it like I'd say it to my little girl? It's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. And we will face spiritual opposition in this life. To believe or expect anything different would be sure defeat. In fact, I believe that that is probably the very thing that defeats most of the people who enter in to the contest to begin with. To believe that somehow everything is just going to work out just like a Hallmark card. Just as soon as I say, yes, Lord, I'll do your will. Yes, Lord. That's a big word, yes, Lord. When we say yes, we have to understand that most, most of Christendom has it wrong. That we are not going to be tiptoeing through the tulips. No, when we say yes, and I'm meandering here for a moment, we're going to put on, we're not, we're not going to be smelling flowers. We're not going to be painting pictures. We're going to be putting on armor. We're going to be putting on the armor of God because that's when it's time to go to work. And that's when it's time that we are going to face the most spiritual opposition that we ever have. Not everything is going to work out. Not everything is going to be perfect. Not all the stars are going to align. In fact, they're probably going to be pretty misaligned for a while. But we're just going to have to hold on. All battles aside, we're just going to have to put the armor on and say, Lord, it's your will and not my will. It's your will that has to be done. We are in a war. We are in a war. Romans 7.23, Paul said, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so tonight I'm glad that we could read words like that from the Apostle Paul. I'm thankful for words like that from the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest men who ever lived. Aside from the things that he did before the Spirit of God arrested him on the, on the road of Damascus, Paul wrote the majority of the, of, the, of the New Testament scripture and epistles. And so for Paul to say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? I'm glad that I can read words like this that, that I can understand that I'm not reading behind perfect people. I'm not reading behind pristine people. I'm not studying and reading about someone who is on a pedestal somewhere in an ivory tower, but I'm reading behind an honest human being like the man Paul. Not just the apostle Paul, but the man Paul. You see, Paul identified personally with our spiritual struggle, and he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't just beat around the bush about it. He didn't attempt to make himself out to be someone else either. He said this in the earlier chapter, Romans 7 and 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, 
I find not. For the good that I would not, I do, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. You see what Paul was doing there? He was not trying to make himself look after, uh, look like someone else or trying to make himself look better than anybody else. He wasn't sugarcoating it. He was saying that this is a real struggle. This is a real deal. This is going to be an ever-present struggle. And it's not going away until we, we walk on those, those golden shores. And you cannot afford to forget about it. That's what Paul was said. That was saying, so now let's consider this. Let's kind of wrap some of this up here in a nutshell. Not only do we battle the flesh, but we are also faced with another very real and fierce opponent. We have an enemy, not only in our own selves, not only something that wars against the Spirit of God on a continual basis, but now we have an outside influencer. Now let's introduce him for just a moment here this afternoon. We're faced with another real opponent. He's a fierce opponent. The Bible says that he's an enemy of our soul, one that does not does not abide by any set of rules or regulations. He's not he's not playing gentleman's uh, whatever you want to put in that blank. He's not going to let you know before he strikes. He's not going to send you a letter first like a like a gentleman with a with a little stamp in it that you can read about before he arrives. No, he's a guerrilla fighter. He he plays guerrilla warfare and he doesn't fight fair. He doesn't come to you and let you know before he strikes. He sucker punches you, and so that means we always need to be ready. He we need to be ready for everything that he throws at us because he's going to use the very thing that we've been talking about here tonight. He's going to use the very thing that we war against in our own selves. He uses that very thing, that weak flesh. You see, he offers up these temptations. He just throws these things in your face when you're not thinking about it. He tempts the believer. And if or when you take the bait, if you go ahead and go along with what he's saying, he uses that very thing that he just tempted you with to point the finger at you. Make no mistake, it's what he does. It's who he is. He's the accuser. He's setting you up just so he can turn around and accuse you of what he caused or, 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 or tried to trip you up with in the first place. He's the accuser, the Bible calls him. The accuser of the brethren who lobbies his complaints 24 hours a day, 7 days a week without stopping. Jesus said of him in John 8 and 44, he called him a murderer. That word means a man slayer. That's what he's out to do. He's out to trip you up and take you out and put you down for the count. But he's a liar and there is no truth in him. He is a liar from the beginning and there absolutely is no truth. And so when or if you make a mistake, he declares you guilty dirty, defiled, and beyond repair and beyond redemption because his ultimate goal is condemnation. And if we believe the lie, then we rob ourselves of the most valuable thing that has ever been offered to a human being, and that is repentance. He'll take that rug right out from under you. If you believe that lie, if you go along with what he's saying, he's going to rip that out from under you, and you're just going to be condemned in your own 
own heart and your own mind. He says when you've messed up, you will never overcome. When you've made a mistake, you'll never recover. When you've tripped up and fallen, you'll never stand back up on your own two feet. Paul said, oh wretched man that I am. That is absolutely the truth. I've already said it. We're in this frail flesh. It cannot please God. It, it, the carnality of this, it cannot please God. He said, who shall deliver me? That is a valid question. But then Paul answers his own question in Romans 7 and 25. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit are we attempting to brush over sin by saying all of that absolutely not are we trying to sweep it underneath the rug and trying to hide it from everybody's eyes so that we can just keep on doing it God forbid we are not trying to do that but Paul is simply saying don't believe the lie don't believe it yeah you might have messed up yeah you might have tripped up and fallen but you can overcome you can get back up you can be an overcomer because he has overcome and so we can choose wow I have a choice you see, I can choose how I want to live and I can choose whose report I will believe. I can choose how I'm going to walk and I can choose whose voice I'm going to listen to. You see, the enemy will always lie. He will never tell you the truth. Even though there may be a measure it's still a lie, nonetheless. But the Lord, the Lord will never lie to us. I feel like I, I feel like saying that from the mountaintop. The devil will always lie to you, but God will never lie to you. The devil says you're done, you're through, you'll never recover. But God says, I see you different. I see you getting up. I see you walking on your own two feet. I see you recovered. I see you delivered in truth. And so we can choose which one we will believe. And so victory is a must. We absolutely cannot settle for anything less. And it is not optional. Paul learned something that we all need to know in Romans 8 and 33. He said, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so we can simply either die now to sin, or we can experience eternal death because of sin. Victory will only come, hear me now, through a daily walk in the Spirit. Victory will only come by a daily death of the flesh along with that daily surrender to the will of God intermittent won't do casual encounters is not going to work 
you're not going to be able to do this some of the time and then go do something else another time. But we have to live day to day by day by day, step by step in mark time with the Spirit and being led by His Spirit. And here's the result, Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How awesome is that? That we don't have to live perpetually in this flesh, but we have the power to overcome and we have the power to become the sons of God. Of God, We yield to the leading of God's Spirit as we conduct the journey from here to heaven with a consistent and patient walk in Him. It's the daily walk that keeps us. Now hear me now. I don't want to sound so negative tonight that you don't ever want to listen to me again. But there's not going to be a team of people cheering you on in this day-to-day existence. Now, I know that I'm, I'm looking at people who's walked with God for a very long time. So I'm not telling you anything else that you don't know. And so let me just talk to people online here. Perhaps you just started this yesterday. You will not always have people patting you on the back and telling you you're going to make it. You're going to be all right. Now, there's going to be people that's going to come alongside you, and they're going to link arms with you, and they're going to help you walk this walk. But they're not going to be with you in the morning when you wake up. You're just going to have to drag yourself to the prayer room on your own. They're not going to be with you on your job saying you you don't have to hang out with those people right now. You don't have to listen to all that. You're going to have to make up your own mind that you're not going to do that. And you're going to walk with him. You're going to get kept by God by daily walking with him. No matter if there's people there encouraging you and lobbing their accolades towards you as you just live your parade of a life. But it is not without reward. It's not that we just walk with God and nothing ever happens what we get is the reward of peace what we get is the reward of life and so there's not going to be someone always there telling you you're doing great you're going to make it but you got to know that you're going to make it because you're in the will of God and when I'm in the will of God then I have life and I have peace and that is my reward hear me now we live in enough turmoil we walk through enough uh, unseemly things on a daily basis we live around people who have no clue they're confused they're they're in confusing times they're confused in 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 confusing times and peace is a commodity that is just ever slipping through the hands of humanity and so they're searching they're searching in unusual and unseemly places but I'm here to declare tonight there is a peace that passes all understanding and it can be had and it can be found and it can be found in the spirit of God and so you don't have to live life confused you don't have to wake up in the morning not knowing what you're going to do you can have peace through the spirit of God and so if we know that why would we want anything else if we already have that knowledge why would we desire anything different I want to know that I have peace I don't want to forfeit the opportunity of allowing God's 
spirit to lead me and guide me by trying to search out something somewhere else when I know that I know that I know the peace in me is God's spirit within me and it is nothing less and so tonight I just feel like saying it from the highest mountain we've got a remedy for the insecurity we have a recourse for the uncertainty and we have something and someone that we can rely on that's why David said in Psalm 61 and 2 from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed lead me lead me to the rock that is higher than I and so we can go to him with every need with every circumstance and in his presence the Bible says there is fullness of joy not just a portion not just a peace but fullness of joy even though the world is going crazy on the outside and even though my circumstances may not be perfect and peaceful I know there's a peace that can be found in the spirit of God he's offered us a better way he's offered us a better word his, his blood speaks a better word than what this world speaks. He's offered us a better way that the carnal nature and the pursuit of carnality, it can't match it. It has no, it has no way to even make it up to its standard. He has offered us something beyond the temporal constraints of this present world. I said it just a couple of Sundays ago. He's offering us the kingdom. It is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We don't have to wrestle it out of his hand. We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to do some penance for it or something that is beyond conceiving. But he said, I will give it to you if you want it. You can have the kingdom. And it's not stuff. It's not houses. It's not cars. It's not jobs. For the Bible says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and it's peace. And I said it before, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. Why don't we lift our hands for just a moment and thank Him for the peace that can be found in His Spirit. I love you, Lord. I feel that peace here tonight. I love you, Jesus. I'll ask our musicians to come. I'm going to come to a close here this evening. On a cool spring evening in Cirque de Paris in 1909, Joe Jeanette Sam McVeigh, both inductees of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, among the greatest heavyweights to ever live, waged what many to this day claim must have been the greatest fight ever in the sport of boxing. That's a pretty big statement. With a world championship on the line, along with a purse of $6,000, roughly $175,000 today, these two men entered the ring to claim their respective title. However, what is most interesting is that these, these were not fights fought like we would think are fought here in our era. These were not fought in the same manner that we're accustomed to today. These fights in those days didn't have a prescribed number of rounds or specific time constraints on the length of the fights. They were quite literally fights to the finish.
And I'm not talking about fights to somebody got ready to go home. I'm talking about fights to the finish. You see, boxing bouts today are limited to 12 rounds. But this particular bout ended in round 49 when McVeigh simply chose not to come out of his corner at the beginning of the 49th round. It was primarily because he couldn't see. As both of his eyes were swollen completely shut. One translated French publication reads an overview of the fight like this, and it's going to sound a little odd because it was translated. But this is what they said. At the beginning of the combat, Sam McVeigh looked in marvelous form due to a severe drive and training and strongly attacked Joe Jeanette. And he seemed to worry very little about the blows that his adversary threw at him. During a certain number of rounds, the two men made a good match and looked the equal to one another. Then Sam, by use of terrible blows projected at his adversary, knocked him to the ground several times. Then next... With extraordinary courage, Jeanette raised himself and little by little found the means to put the hurt on Sam. The combat was superb and all the same time violent and scientific. Sam landed terrible direct blows to the jaw of Jeanette who also dodged many and counterpunched well with his own powerful blows that landed admirably. Sam no longer looked human as his eye was completely closed and his mouth bloodied. We arrived thus at the 40th round. Joe Jeanette, very fresh, rains a hail of blows on Sam, who is completely disabled, but thanks to his incomparable force and courage, always resists. The bail saved him several times from defeat. The uppercuts of Jeanette are no longer avoided anymore by Sam, who is well finished with the 49th round, a record. Sam shakes the hand of Jeanette and states he has given up. Science, speed, and flexibility have just triumphed over brute force. Sam McVeigh, crowned by Parisians as the king of boxing, falls from his pedestal, and Joe Jeanette will replace him. Poor Sam. Despite his victory, spectators were amazed at the outcome. Not only was Jeanette the underdog and had been knocked down multiple times prior to winning the victory, a New York Sun article explained Joe Jeanette would find himself in trouble multiple times, especially around the 19th round. But they said, with the liberal use of oxygen administered to him over the next few rounds, he would survive but found himself saved by the bell many times. The article then goes on to describe Jeanette as displaying remarkable powers of recuperation and making a chopping block of his opponent during the last 10 rounds. Conjecture and debate, and debate argue on the accurate number of times he found himself on the ground. Some as much as 27 times. Others don't even record a number. However, something truly remarkable and special transpired that evening in Paris over 100 years ago between these two men. What we do know is Jeanette was floored numerous times. Out on his feet and seriously hurt. We also know that despite the tremendous battering that he endured at times, during this fight to the finish, Jeanette was still capable of relying on his superior ability to outlast and to outbox one of the greatest heavyweights of all time over the course of 48 hard-fought 
back and forth rounds. Joe Jeanette made up his mind. Joe Jeanette relied on his training. And Joe Jeanette took advantage of the oxygen that was being administered to him in the corner and simply would not quit. Knocked down, yeah. We don't even know how many times. But he got back up. Injured, absolutely. But he just kept on fighting. And can I tell you here tonight, the choice is similarly ours to make. Do you know why you're still here? Do you know why you're sitting here tonight? Because you just wouldn't quit. Do you know why you're in the house of God on a Wednesday night? It's not because you didn't have something better to do. It's because you just won't give up. And I'm looking at people here tonight. And I don't say anything disparaging about those who are not here tonight. We know the, the circumstances surrounding that. But hear me in the spirit and in the, in the context of what I'm saying. You are here because you just won't quit and you'll be here tomorrow if the if the God of heaven and earth will give you breath to breathe in your lungs because you just won't quit. You're just not going to give up because you can choose not to quit. I'm not going to give up because I can choose not to quit. And so no matter what comes and no matter how long it takes and no matter how many times I get knocked down, I'm just going to keep getting back up. And I'm going to choose life and I'm going to choose peace and I'm going to choose to walk in His Spirit with His Spirit leading me and guiding me, protecting me and ultimately securing my eternal reward which is life everlasting in Him. And if we'll do that, I got great news for us here tonight. If we'll do what we just talked about, if we'll just keep getting back up and if we just refuse not to quit, victory is inevitable. And so I'll end where I began if you'll stand with me here tonight. Romans 8 and 6 for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's where this battle begins. It, it begins right here. And I'm going to tell you right now, that'll be where it ends. It'll end right here. And so we can be carnally minded and we can choose to die. Or we can be spiritually minded and we can choose life and peace in God. And so I don't know about you here tonight, but I made up my mind. I don't know about you, but I made up my mind that I am going to give him all that I have. I'm going to allow his spirit to work in me. I'm going to recognize the necessity of his spirit. I'm going to give myself to be led by his spirit, to be empowered by his spirit. And if I get knocked down, I'm just going to join hands with Micah and I'm going to say rejoice not against me, oh mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, God shall be a light unto me because I choose life and I choose
peace. I'm going to leave this world behind. I'm going to walk on those sunny shores and I'm going to have victory through the Spirit. And so if you want that here tonight, why don't you just for a moment lift up your hands and rejoice in the Lord and give Him praise and glory and honor for He is worthy. He is worthy and there is no one like Him. We praise you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.